This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Every day, thousands of opportunities, freedoms, and privileges surround us, seemingly unnoticed. Today, Memorial Day, we're reminded of the brave men and women who take the biggest risks so that we may have even the smallest indulgences. Let us never forget the depth of their sacrifice. Now, the Blaze Radio Network presents... Reflections from a Grateful Nation. Welcome to this special Memorial Day broadcast. I'm Doc Thompson along with Skip Lacombe. Skip and I have been frustrated in recent years because so many people don't understand Memorial Day or even appreciate its significance. Yeah, that's the thing. Is This isn't Veterans Day, not a day to honor veterans. This is Memorial Day, a day to honor those who died in service to our nation. I mean, honoring veterans is always wonderful, but this day is even special among veterans. I always felt awkward saying happy Memorial Day. It just, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem significant enough. Should I be happy? Should you be happy? Over the past couple of years, we've been using the hashtag on Twitter, remember Memorial Day. And that's great. In fact, if you want to join us on Twitter, it's at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe with the hashtag remember Memorial Day. And I think remember Memorial Day is great, but I also had an epiphany. If I was one who sacrificed, if I was one who died in service to America, I'd want people to exercise their freedom and enjoy their life. I'd want them to barbecue. That's that's what all this is about. Go and do. I'd want them to appreciate what I did, but then go and live life. To make sure we understand the price of freedom and to honor those who sacrificed, over the next few hours, we're going to introduce you to those people. We're going to tell their stories, and I think that's one of the best ways we can honor them. Joining us now is Gretchen, whose son died for our freedom. Gretchen, tell us about Alec. Well, it's kind of hard to sum up a human being, but um, (laughs) in a few words, he was absolutely amazing. I mean, I I know moms think that way about their sons (laughs) um, and their daughters, but he was truly something else. I mean, he was, uh, I think, above all else, um, and, and that includes so many stories that we heard about him after he died. He was just kind. He was super funny. He um, he made me laugh more than anybody in the world could, uh, and I was actually quite glad that my daughter left home first to go to college because I had Alec home to uh, to make me to make me laugh and make everything okay. Um, he was 19, and he joined the Marine Corps actually when he was 17. His dad and I both signed for him um, because it was super important to him. Uh, and, and we were glad to do that. So he left actually for boot camp the week after graduating high school. And he was in just over a year and a half when he deployed to Afghanistan with the, um, Marine Corps 3-5 Dark Horse unit out of Camp Pendleton. And less than three weeks after he got there, he was killed. Very, very quick. Yeah, he, um, he actually, 
he actually had uh, been trying to um, go to sniper school prior to that, and he was in the sniper school in doc and made it quite a few rounds and then asked if they would be okay with him dropping out of the sniper in doc, in doc and uh, trying again some other time because he wanted to deploy with his unit one time, and, and that was more important to him than anything else, and so he he wanted to be with you know with his guys with his with his brothers and um, all in all we lost twenty five from the three five dark horse unit. Explain to people what happened with the three five dark horse unit. Well, three five was sent to Sangin, um, which is in Helmand Province in Afghanistan, which essentially most people just consider to be hell on earth. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible place and, and actually is again, which is which is um quite unfortunate because it is now reverting back to kind of how it was before they got there. And and there are even some now that say that these boys died for nothing because Sangin is again going back to the Taliban control. But I will never believe that. Ever, ever, ever will I believe that they died for nothing because um we have gifts that were given to us by Alec in the form of friendships and, and who we consider family. Um, relationships with people that we never would have had had it been for Alec. And, and that seems to be so true with so many of the 3525, as we affectionately call them, their family. They, they have relationships with people that, that they never would have had. And so these are gifts from our boys. I mean... You know, they died for each other, um, and, and they died for us. And so, you know, I personally will never, ever believe that he died for nothing. So do you regret the decision signing for him to go? Not for a minute. And, and many people don't, don't understand this. Um, but if even knowing what I know now, knowing that he wouldn't come home, I would sign for him again because he believed in it that strongly. And, and when somebody is that passionate about something... You, and, and two, if I didn't sign for him, he would have just waited till he was 18 and done it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. You know, but he believed in it. I mean, he, he was our only Marine. You know, we had Navy uh, veterans in my family, Army, my brother's retired Air Force. We have every branch of service, but my son wanted to be a Marine more than anything. And so how do you say no to that? You know, I mean, we're we're such a military family. I'm married to a veteran. My son-in-law is a veteran. And, you know, my father, my grandfather, my uncle, my brothers. It's just on and on and on. And when your son comes to you with pride in his voice and he's super passionate, you don't say no. Gretchen, what was the last that you had heard from him, be it a letter or a phone call? What was the last thing he said to you? He actually called um, because after my son, son-in-law had gotten home from Afghanistan, my daughter gave my son, um, she gave Alec Matt's phone card. And so he called my work um, and said, will you please have Michaela put more money on my phone card? <laughs> and, I, and, and sadly, um, I pushed him off the phone. Because I wanted him to call his fiance, I said, "You know what? Don't waste your calling on me. Call Haley." And um, that, that, you know, I don't have many regrets, but that's kind of one of them because he didn't he didn't get a hold of her either. She was in class, and so you know, that, that's something that you know you live with and, and you kind of reconcile in your brain. But that, that was my last call with him. Um, I did get. Uh, we got a personal letter that he had written um, with his things. We got that back from, from the Marine Corps. Um, 
So, you know, we have things like that. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm not a real sing kind of person, you know. Um, so to me, if I can't have him, you know, I, the things don't matter too, too much to me. Well, on this Memorial Day, it's always frustrating for us because we don't think people take the, enough time to stop and, and remember those people. And that's the reason we want to tell stories like your son, Alec. What do you say right. to people on Memorial Day? Right. Well, Memorial Day, and I was raised by a Korean War veteran, and to him, Memorial Day wasn't about picnics and drinking beer and going boating. It was about honoring you know, those who gave their lives for us. Who, who, who died for this country and so we went to parades and, and we stood when the colors go by and we taught our kids to stand when the colors go by and and on Memorial Day it's not a happy day, it's a day of remembrance I don't fault people for saying happy Memorial Day, some people do I don't because they don't know um, but this Memorial Day I have the distinct pleasure of attending um uh, an event in Byron, Illinois, where a young boy just yesterday totally completed building Catherwood Memorial Playground um, in honor of Alec. And so they're going to dedicate it on Memorial Day. And that, I tell you, probably means more than anything to me. Usually what my husband and I do is we go buy flags and we go to a local cemetery and we place flags on veterans' graves. So we'll do that this year, too. Only it'll be, you know, Alex's grave that I get to go to this year because I'll be back back up north. Um, and that means a lot to me. So, um, you know, Memorial Day is a day of remembrance. It's not so much a happy, happy occasion. It's um, a time to reflect and think about everything that's been given to us by, by people who aren't here anymore. Tell me about the project you're working on. Our project um, is called Dark Horse Lodge. And uh, this is something that when we moved down here to West Tennessee, um, I thought and thought and thought about something that we could do for for those who did come home because they're hurting so bad. And I don't know if people are aware, but we lose 22 veterans a day to suicide on average. Every 65 minutes, we lose a veteran to suicide. Um, and there's just not enough being done to them. So I came up with the idea of Dark Horse Lodge. And together with my husband, um, we purchased property. We have the roofing donated and a well donated so far. Um, but we're building a retreat for combat veterans with five cabins. Each cabin will have five rooms. Each room will be named for one of the 25 boys um, that was killed in the 3-5. Uh, and so it'll be a place for combat veterans from every branch of service, every age, every war, every, you know, male, female, just to come for a week, take them fishing on Kentucky Lake, give them a place where they can talk to each other because they're unable to talk to other people about what they've experienced. And, and it's just a place for them to just relax and kind of take a load off and, and not have to worry too much about what's happening out in the civilian world because it's really, really tough for them when they come home. Um, and quite frankly, if Alec had come home, really this is something that I wish somebody would have done for him. And because I can't do anything for him anymore, I can certainly do things, do something for, you know, the, the people who meant so much to him and the people that mean so much to me. So... You know, for other mothers' sons and other mothers' daughters, I can be there. Um, and that's what we plan on doing. We have to raise a lot of money first. But we'll get there. We're, uh, you know, a diamond, a nickel, and a dollar at a time. We will definitely get there. Um, so that's, that's what we're doing here in West Tennessee and Henry County. If anybody wants to look it up, we're darkhorselodge.org. And uh, we're Dark Horse Lodge on Facebook. So that would be fantastic if we could... Uh, you know, get this going a little bit faster because it's desperately, desperately needed by our veterans. 
Gretchen, thank you so much for your sacrifice and thank you for your son's sacrifice. Yes. God bless you and happy Memorial Day. You're listening to a Memorial Day special presentation. Reflections from a Grateful Nation from the Blaze Radio Network. Experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Reflections from a Grateful Nation, a special presentation on the Blaze Radio Network. A few years ago, Skip and I were driving through the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and saw an amazing spectacle. As we were driving on a, on a U.S. route, we started seeing flags on the side of the road. Every 10 feet or so, one of those small little flags lining the road. And this continued for miles and miles of flags. We finally came across some people who were actually putting in the flags... We asked them what's going on, and they let us know that they were lining the route from the airport to the gravesite for a soldier who had just died overseas. He was coming home. It was amazing to see their commitment to do that. Joining us now, Dick is going to tell us about his son who sacrificed for us. Dick, tell us about Carl. Good kid, I tell you. Um, well, Carl... Uh, was a senior in high school and uh, when the 9-11 thing hit. And uh, for some reason, I think that, that really inspired him. And uh, so he joined the Marine Corps Reserve uh, when he turned 18, just after he graduated. And uh, he was also going to college. Uh, he had a scholarship in engineering to uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. So he was one of those, you know, on and off Marines, uh, delayed entry. So it took him a couple of years to to get trained, you know, to, to do boot camp and then uh, his MOS. But by the time he uh, got his training, uh, their their company deployed to Iraq, and he he got there a little late with a few other people because they were finishing up their training. So he ended up going up uh, and joining a company that was already there up in Al Anbar Province, and. Uh, they eventually ended up at the Haditha Dam. I'm sure you're familiar with the Haditha and stuff that happened up there. By all accounts, he's a, a good Marine. I mean, he was young. He's 20 years old when he when he deployed, and uh, but he took his training seriously. Uh, he was a, a top grad in his MOS school, which was combat engineering. So I guess you know, like like a lot of kids, likes to blow stuff up, bang. <laughs> right? Bangs and stinks and smokes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about as as a father when when you think about your son and the man he became. How proud are you of the man he became? Oh, extremely. Um, it, it's just you know, I was I was looking forward to you know 
him becoming the, you know, the family leader, you know, I was, <laughs> I would have retired and let him take on. I mean, his, his just, he was an innately good person. Um, never a problem as a child, very intelligent, very sensitive. And, you know, he was, he was artistic, uh, literate, you know, he, he was just a very all around good kid and intelligent and small. He, he wasn't, he wasn't your big giant Marine. He, he weighed about 120 pounds or so. So ultimately he was killed by an IED explosion. No, it was a rocket propelled grenade. Oh, it was a, okay. Uh, and, and we lost, we lost four Marines that night. Uh, it was a pretty much a setup. They got some bad intel and checked out a place and then their convoy was ambushed. Somebody took a lucky long shot, apparently from a mosque with a, uh, an RPG and it landed right near the truck or maybe almost inside. It was an open back Humvee Mm. and killed four guys on the right side. How did you become aware that he had been killed? Well, it was kind of strange because the Marines apparently were looking for me. You know, normally they would just come to your house. Somehow they called my, my son had put my mother's number as an alternate number. Um, and somehow they called that just to see if it was operational or something. Anyway, they, they hung right up. And my mother got looked at the caller ID and said, well, you know, that's from Virginia. So she called them back. And they're like, oh, no, that's a wrong number. We didn't. No, ma'am, that's a wrong number. And she, she put two and two together, you know. She said, that sounds like Marines. And why would they call here from Virginia? It must be about Carl. So she called me. And I was half hour out of town going on a business trip. So I called them back, and to you know, make a long story short, they insisted that I come home. They needed to talk to me. But you knew. You know what's going on at that point. I, I, was, I, was, I was just, you know, just like, maybe he's wounded, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> right. You, know, they, right. You, you hope for the best there, right? You're like, you know, some little bit of hope. Maybe it's okay. Yeah. You know, you just don't. And I was, I, I mean, I was just terrified. I, mean, I was driving in the rain. I just said to myself, don't, you know, don't speed, don't. You know, don't kill anybody here. Just drive. Just drive. So I got home, and, you know, about five minutes after I got home, why they popped up at the front door and gave me the news. I sat on the floor, let them sit on the couch. That way, if I fell, I wouldn't have far to go. You know? um, I understand. And then my son, that was about middle of day, noon, one o'clock, and my son then came home from school, my younger son. I told him, and then I had to go and tell my wife she worked at a private residence as a nanny. That's and a pretty rough, that's a pretty rough that, drive that, to go over and tell hardest, her, huh? That, that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I, I just sort of barged up and she kind of, oh, hey, how are you doing? You know, and before she could even wonder why I was not on my business trip, I just pushed her in, in the door, on the couch, and I just blurted it out. I said, we, we lost him. And she proceeded to scream three or four times. I mean, you never heard screams like that. I thought she was going to hurt herself. You never really get over the loss of a child, do you? No, no. Well, it's you know, it's part of you. You know, it's like you lose part of yourself. Uh, you know, I think there's something you know innate, or you know, it's just that's the way it is. It's it's deep. It's not supposed to happen that way. I think is is part of it too. You just don't you don't think it's supposed to happen that way. No, no. It, you know, we're supposed to go first, not them. 
and and the fact that it's you know was war just it just adds an element of something to it you know because uh, nobody ever wants their kids to go to war or anything I mean nobody likes war except crazies. <laughs> Dick, as we're uh, as, as we're airing on radio stations uh, across the country, is is there anything you'd like people to know about your son, Carl? Well, just the incredible quality of his character, I'd say. I mean, a lot of Marines had told me that. It's like, hey, he was very confident and all that, but what stood out was the quality of his character. I mean, he, he would help people. He would give advice. He, he was very wise. He, he always was, ever since he was a little kid. He he had a certain wisdom. It was like a wise old man in a, in a little boy's body. <laughs> Dick, thank you so much for sharing your son's story, and thank you for your son and his sacrifice and yours on this Memorial Day weekend. Taking a deeper look at our appreciation for the freedoms we have, this is Reflections from a Grateful Nation, a special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. Reflections from a Grateful Nation. Hi, it's Doc and Skip from the Blaze Radio Network. When I think what it must be like to lose somebody and and go through that, I think of that scene from Saving Private Ryan when they tell the mom, the official army car pulls up, she walks out on the porch and then collapses before they even tell her because she knows what that means. It's become one of those iconic things in society that when you see it, you just know. When you see those... Marines or Navy men come up in their dress blues, knocking on the door. You know the bad news they're going to tell you. Unfortunately, Teresa had to go through that. Teresa, tell us about your husband, Landon. He was in the Navy. He was a helicopter pilot. Uh, he went to the Naval Academy and graduated in 2001. Uh, we met when I was in college. We met out in Maryland. Um, he was just, he was a very, um, just kind of pragmatic, uh, you know, what you saw was what you got kind of guy, very smart, great pilot. Um, people looked up to him. His students looked up to him uh, when he was a flight instructor, and he's a great dad. Uh, we had two boys, um, our oldest son, Anthony. They were, you know, best friends. Uh, my youngest son, my husband never got to meet him because I gave birth on the deployment that he was killed on. So they never had a chance to meet, but uh, my youngest son looks just like him. So he's definitely a daily reminder of him. How was he in that yeah. naval uniform? How was he? He looked great. <laughs> and I grew up in Maryland, so I was, you know, the Naval Academy in Annapolis. Like, I had taken field trips there as a kid, but you can never get by those guys in their uniform. They always look great. That's, uh, yeah, I can only imagine what that's like. It has to be uh, pretty impressive. And then you're you're married to this Naval pilot. What type, you said he was very pragmatic. Tell, tell us a little bit more about his character. What was he like around uh, the house? He, he was very... He, had a very dry sense of humor, which I appreciate and love. And, you know, there was no, he, he told you what you, he thought, which was great. There, you know, you never, you always knew where you stood with him. He was great with our son, Anthony, um, would wrestle with him, read books to him. I mean, he, Anthony was the apple of his eye. So that, it was always great. It was a, it was a great pleasure to watch them together. And I'm happy I always would take little pictures of them and I'm happy to have those now. But tell us what, Tell us what happened. How did he die? 
um, on September 22nd, 2013, and it was five days before our 10-year wedding anniversary, um, I uh, live here in San Diego, and I woke up that morning because our son was an infant, and he got up to eat, and I was uh, scrolling through Facebook, and I saw that the Nimitz, which was the carrier uh, that he was attached to, they had posted a Facebook posting saying that there was a mishap in the Red Sea with a helicopter. Knowing that my husband was in a helicopter squadron, I was reading the article, saw that it was my husband's squadron, and panicked, calling friends, calling our CEO's wife, and nobody knew anything. Uh, Landon's parents happened to be in town visiting during this weekend. Uh, you know, uh, four hours went by, I never heard anything, and uh, then the doorbell rang. And I, I looked at my father-in-law, I was like, why is my doorbell ringing? I went to the door, I looked through the peephole and saw uh, three men in their service dress blues and just collapsed, screaming at the door. Um, that day, he was off um, just doing, he, he worked on a, his, he was a head of a detachment that was on a supply ship attached to the, that battle group, and he had to do, I believe it was nine different deck hits that day over three hours. So he would go here, you know, take off from one ship, drop something off, go back, you know, kind of running errands, I guess, is a simply way to put it. And he uh, took off from, you know, his ship, the Rainier, landed on the aircraft carrier, picked up a corpsman from the carrier, was taking her to another ship, the USS William P. Lawrence, um, to drop off, chop her off and flew vaccines off. They, it, it took some time. They landed, finally landed on the ship, and it was supposed to be a quick drop the flu vaccines off, pick up um, some aircraft jacks, and then take back off. But they, so they didn't shut down the helicopter. The blades were still spinning. They were chalked and chained to the deck, so they, like, locked the wheels to the deck, but the blades were still spinning. Um, the CEO of that ship uh, was driving the ship aggressively, for the sea state and she called some turns out which caused the ship to take some heavy rolls and in doing that it caused a she put the ship sort of in this trough and it caused a wall of water to hit the back of the ship and and you know bounce up the back of the ship and the water came down it hit the spinning rotor blades the rotor blades hit the deck the flight deck and they started breaking apart which now you have this giant unbalanced engine because all of the blades, you know, have flown off and the helicopter started to shake violently and it ended up um, breaking in half. And so the, it, it started bouncing, it broke in half, the, the tail broke off the helicopter and the cabin um, with the two pilots still strapped inside went overboard and they never ended up um, finding them or getting the bodies. What's so it? they said... The doors had blown off the helicopter. It was so violent that the doors were found floating in the water. And and these wow. pilots, they go through training where, you know, they have to, they always, they go in these, they're called the dunkers, the helicopter dunker, where they go in and they practice all the time training, unbuckling, getting out. They have a, a bottle of air on them that gives them two minutes of breathing. And his co-pilot used to be a former rescue swimmer and, you know, was excellent. And, you know, obviously being underwater in situations like this, but they never even unbuckled their seatbelts, which in the reports that I read, um, it stated that they would probably most likely incapacitated or dead before they even went in the water just because of the nature of like how violent the shaking was on the deck of the ship. 
when they when they when they showed up at your house to to tell you that's that's like something from a movie i mean you know what that means right yeah oh yeah oh yeah the minute i saw the white hats and the blue uniform i knew exactly what was going on i mean that's exactly how it happens is that they stand at the door and and that's it i mean and they tell you and and i just remember sitting there uh, my oldest son happened to be out at sunday school that day and um so thank God he was not here to see it. But, you know, my youngest was napping and I was just looking at the baby monitor and crying. And I just kept asking the men, I'm like, what do I do now? What do I do now? And at that point, he was still considered missing. So, you know, they were just like, we will let you know, like, when we hear something. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, you just what do I do? <laughs> That's all you can ask. Like, what do I do? I mean, it's not even like, what do I do? Like at this very second, it's, I was almost asking like, what do I do with my life? Like, what am I <laughs> right, do right, now? right, right. Exactly. It's like, this has been everything in my, my whole life. This is a foundation of it. And everything has just changed. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I, wow, that's powerful. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. And, and, and you know, they just kind of stand around awkwardly. <laughs> you don't know what to do. Right. Imagine and, being them. They're like, okay, this isn't good, right? I got to tell this lady, yeah. you know? Yeah. They're watching this woman fall apart in front of them and, and her family, because my in-laws, you know, my husband's right. parents were here and they're just, there's a chaplain who comes and he, uh, you know, I, I'm a, a religious person. He wants to pray. And I was like, no, like, I didn't even want to do that. I'm just sitting there like, what do I do now trying to figure stuff out? So, yeah, it was wow. very much like a movie. And then, you know, they came back the next day when they had, uh, they did a 24-hour search. And, and once they called off the search, then they come back again. And, uh, you know, I already saw the news on Facebook um, before they had even came to, no, you know, come to notify me that the search had been called off. So when they knocked on the door, I mean, I had already had 45 minutes to process it. And... So they just came and, and, you know, the Navy regrets to inform you. So I was, it's just at that point, like I had shut my emotions off when they came back. So it was less, I guess, dramatic, you know, you could say when they came back the second time. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for sharing your story and um, for your sons, for you and for your husband. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you very much. We continue to recall how fortunate and appreciative we are on this Memorial Day when our special presentation, Reflections from a Grateful Nation, continues on the Blaze Radio Network. Reflections from a Grateful Nation, a special presentation on the Blaze Radio Network. Doc and Skip joined by the editor-at-large of TheBlaze.com, Mike Opalka, joining us. Mike, do you have someone in your life who died in service to America? Not an immediate blood relative. I'm close to someone that I think we all know. And I think you guys have interviewed uh, Debbie Lee, the mother of Mark Lee, the first Navy SEAL killed in Iraq. We, ha- we have talked to her. Yeah, we've talked to her in the past. Um, refresh our memory. Mark Lee passed away in July of 2006, and he was the guy who 
who fought alongside Chris Kyle. And if you read American Sniper or if you saw the movie American Sniper, you understand about the bond between these guys. And I, I misspoke earlier. I said July he passed away. He was killed in August. It was very early August. But he, his last letter is what I, I'm most thinking about when I think about honoring people we lost in service to this country. He wrote a letter home to his mom before he went and passed away or was out on that combat mission. So when you, when you look at the story of Mark Lee and know that he fought alongside Chris Kyle and died, as, as I said, the first American Navy SEAL to die in Iraq, you, you understand how big of an impact this guy had. But this letter that talks about glory and talks about war and talks about seeing death and the sorrow that encompasses your entire being as a man breathes his last. Now, think about that. These are the words of a, a warrior who also says, I can only pray and hope that none of you will ever have to experience some of the things I have seen and felt here. Again, we think of these these superhumans that are the Navy SEALs, that are the, the frontline troops, and we think that they are just, some would have us believe they're killing machines, but when you hear a guy say, I do this so you won't have to experience it. He talks about feeling fear and, and adrenaline pump through his veins and almost feeling invincible. And he says, some of the things we see here are unjustified and uncalled for. When have you heard that come out of the, the mind or mouth of a military person? But at the end, he says, I know it will take more years, years more than you expect, but we will get Iraq to stand on its own feet. As you go through the letter he wrote and sent home, July of 2006, he talks about amazing things that happened here seeing the morals of a man who cares nothing about human life and seeing the hate towards a nation's people who never committed a wrong except being born in a third world country, ill-educated and ignorant to Western civilization. He says it's not everybody who feels this way, but only a select few who bring questions to mind. Is it okay for one to consider themselves superior to another race? Again, this is from a guy who's on the battlefield. He talks about our country being a great country, saying, don't get me wrong on this. Otherwise, none of us would be living there. My point is, how can we come over here and help a less than fortunate country without holding contempt or hate towards them if we can't do it in our own country? I try to do my part over here, but the truth is over there. In the United States, I do nothing but take. And he talks about giving, Doc. And you, you've talked about giving, too. But when, when Mark Lee writes home to mom and says, ask yourself, when was the last time you donated clothes that you hadn't worn out? When was the last time you paid for a random stranger's cup of coffee, meal, or even a tank of gas? When was the last time you did something that cost nothing and helped the person put groceries in their car or helped them take them out? Mike, you're, random acts of con you're, you're, hmm? you're right because... These are these are people who who give the ultimate. They gi they gave their lives. We have to think and wonder what it would feel like if, when the bill for the meal came, you were told it was already paid for. 
And he talks about not being here to preach or say, look at me because I'm, as he says, I'm just as fault at fault as the next person. I find that being here makes me realize the great country we have and the obligation we have to keep it that way. Important words, Doc, and Skip, as we consider what's happening for the rest of the year in the election we're facing. He wrote this just after the 4th of July. And he closes by saying, the 4th has just come and gone, and I've received many emails thanking me for keeping America great and free. I take no credit for the career path I have chosen. I can only give it to those of you who are reading this because each one of you has contributed to me and who I am. However, what I do over here is only a small percent of what keeps our country great. I think the truth to our greatness is each other. Purity, morals, kindness, passed down to each generation through example. And so to all my family and friends, do me a favor. Pass on the kindness, the love. And he talks about the precious gift of human life to each other. And this less than a month before we lost Mark Lee. And and he says, happy fourth, love you. P.S. Halfway through the deployment and can't wait to see all your faces. You can see his his words on the website, americasmightywarriors.org. Editor-at-large of theblades.com, Michael Pelka, thank you so much for joining us. And it's great information, too. If you're, if you're out there and, and listening to the special wondering, well, what can I do? What can I do? That is something constructive that you can actually do to help make a difference this Memorial Day weekend. Stock and Skip from the Blaze Radio Network with reflections from a grateful nation. You're listening to a Memorial Day special presentation. Reflections from a Grateful Nation. A special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Tobacco Road, Owensboro, uh, Kentucky. New policy for customers. Due to rising temperatures, we will not be accepting boob or sock money. Imagine you as Uber Skip, you're driving along. They're like, let me give you a little tip, Uber Skip. Wow. And they hand over a $5 bill, but it's boob money and it's all sweaty. Yeah, I would take that. You would take sweaty boob money? Yeah. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Every day, thousands of opportunities, freedoms, and privileges surround us, seemingly unnoticed. Today, Memorial Day, we're reminded of the brave men and women who take the biggest risks so that we may have even the smallest indulgences. Let us never forget the depth of their sacrifice. Now, the Blaze Radio Network presents... Reflections from a Grateful Nation. Hi, Doc and Skip. We're from the Blaze Radio Network. To find out more about us, go to theblaze.com slash Doc and Skip. This program is to introduce you to people you likely don't know, but whom we owe a debt of gratitude. Joining us now is Matthew. Now, Matthew, your uncle served in World War II? Uh, Yes, he did, actually. He was uh, a top turret gunner, flight engineer on a uh, Boeing B-17 in Europe. And uh, I first got to, got to know a lot of information about him through uh, a model that I was 
building of a B-17. And I did some research on the aircraft and uh, got information about his crew from the Air Force archives and, and stuff and, and uh, found actually some detailed information about uh, his shoot down when he was when he was shot down in Europe. And uh, from there, I mean, I was able to build this beautiful uh, model airplane, but at the same time, I was uh, able to get a little bit of uh, family history as well. Anyway, he was stationed uh, in England uh, with the uh, uh, 385th Bomb Wing, and um, he had, uh, what, seven missions in. Yeah, they were, they were doing a, a mission to, uh, to Dresden, Germany. They were in the, the lead squadron, and uh, they, uh, they weren't the lead aircraft. They were following the lead aircraft, and apparently what happened was uh, the, uh, the plane that was doing the bombing, uh, the lead aircraft, kind of missed the target. It didn't look good. And so he started a, uh, a turn trying to reacquire the target, and in doing so, he turned too tightly and kind of broke up the formation, leaving everybody vulnerable. Well, this aircraft was was attacked, and from what I understand, kind of never really had a chance. I mean, it was attacked from above and was disabled immediately. And so the, the pilot, Lieutenant Batts, uh, issued the bailout order. And so everybody's trying to get out, and... Uh, only two guys make it out, and they find uh, my Uncle Danny um, kind of trapped, I guess, uh, in the nose of the airplane trying to get this, this escape hatch open, and he can't do it. Well, the co-pilot comes down and is able to, to kind of knock the, uh, the hatch open with his boot just as the airplane explodes. So... In effect, this uh, the co-pilot, which is one of the two survivors, didn't actually really bail out of the airplane. He was kind of blown free of the airplane through this escape hatch. And the only other survivor was the bombardier, the guy in the nose, who was blown straight ahead through the plexiglass window. And they were eventually captured, but everybody else on board was killed. And uh, so, yeah, uh, that's kind of the synopsis of the story, that's kind of what I know about my Uncle Danny. And uh, he was 19 when he died. And I think about that, and I'm almost 38 years old, and I look back at myself when I was 19, and I cannot imagine uh, the courage that this kid had. And I, I Obviously, it could never happen, but I would love to meet this guy and just kind of share stories. I mean, I fly professionally, as a living, as a career, and it's completely different, obviously. I'm an airline pilot, but um, just the, the caliber of individual this guy must have been, it's, it's really inspiring, and it's an honor for me to, to be a part of this guy's family. Matt, how much, how much does it mean to you to have this World War II hero as part of your family and lineage? Well, I've got to be honest, it's an honor. I mean, I've got his... I've got his bombardier's wings up on my office desk, and so I can look at him from time to time. But uh, it is—it's quite an honor and an inspiration. Um, I never served, and this late in life, I, I look back and 
I know I should have served. I, that was a mistake of mine. Uh, it's just a choice I made. But uh, I'm sure glad he did because he took part in, in one of the biggest campaigns in history. So yeah. my my father had a um, uh, uh, an uncle who died at the Battle of the Bulge. And he was like a father figure to my father. He also died at 18, uh, right, right in there, very young, taken from a small town in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, rushed through basic and then to the Battle of the Bulge and, and died very quickly with, with his service. Mm. But one of the things that amazed my father up until the day he died just a, a few months ago was that here my father is in his 80s, still remembering, looking up to this father figure who was 18. My father had far outlived him, was an old man. And still this, this father figure is older in his mind at just 18. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. You know, in fact, as you said that I, it sort of jogged my memory as, as I was doing research for this model that I was building, I got in contact with the co-pilot who survived this, this crew and I got in contact. Of course, he's an old man now. He lives in Pittsburgh. And I haven't spoken with him in five or six years. I don't even know if he's alive. But when I, I interviewed him over the phone and I said, you know, I'm looking for information about my Uncle Danny. And he's like, I know exactly who you're talking about. I remember Danny was a good kid, you know. And wow. he kind of told me the whole story here, you know, so many decades later. Yeah. You mentioned that um, obviously he'd be somebody who you would love to meet. Um, if you did have a chance to sit down and speak with him, what what more than anything else do you want to know about him? Oh wow, I'd love to hear some flying stories. <laughs> I'm sure that that's what I think about. I want to I want to know these people, especially well anybody who served. I want to hear their stories. The further back you go, the the further out of touch we are. So. Yeah, I would just yeah. like to hear what their thoughts were. What, what were you thinking when you were flying? What were you thinking as you're you're marching? You know? Oh, I know I, exactly. I mean, I fly a I fly a regional jet. I mean, this guy was in a B seventeen, and a, and I don't know if it was that big of a deal back then, but golly, that's an iconic airplane. You know, I'd love to get some stories about that. That's incredible. A buddy of mine that I've known for for twenty five years now told me that. His father, who had served in World War II, would tell him of some stories, and he also was on a um, a bomber, and I think he may have been a um, a tail gunner. But regardless, uh, there was a story where he got uh, they ended up in some town I forget why, and um, the line moved, and he got caught technically behind enemy lines, and mm. the reason okay. he was caught because. He stayed around a little while longer because there was a young lady in town that he fancied. So, it's the oldest story, basically. <laughs> right, right, right. Of and course, he, right, he had to, of course. He had to get his way out of there, and you know, and he, he finally ended up getting out. But yeah, I could see that being me. What does Memorial oh, wow. Day mean to you now? What, is, what does Memorial Day mean? Well, I, uh, Memorial Day is a time for me that I get to, uh, I get to reflect. Um, both of my grandparents, and I, obviously I think of my uncle Danny as well, uh, who I never knew, but I think of my two grandfathers, uh, guys that are both gone now, who I did have good relationships with. One was in the Army in Europe, one was a Marine in the Pacific. And 
I think about them, and, and it's it's a similar thing to Danny. You know, I, I think about them at that young age doing what they did and seeing what they saw, and just admiring and thanking thanking them for for what they did and what it means to me and my family. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. That that's the spirit of what we're trying to do this Memorial Day weekend. Reflections from a grateful nation. A special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. Reflections from a Grateful Nation on the Blaze Radio Network. We're exploring the real purpose of Memorial Day, to honor and remember. Rick's son was killed in Iraq in 2007. Rick, how did you get word that Josh had been killed? Uh, The Marines came to my house uh, the day of and actually told me and had a chaplain with them. Did you open the door and they were standing there? No, <laughs> no. actually, I was taking my dog for a walk as I walked into my garage. I seen a van at the, end of my, at the end of my driveway, and by the time I got halfway down, I seen a Marine step out. <sighs> you know what that means, don't you? Well, yes, sir. Uh, this is a little hard. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it was very hard. I knew when I seen him that we had lost Josh. And the uh, only thing I can remember saying was it wasn't possible because uh, that was on a Tuesday and I had talked to him on a Sunday. And uh, it was... Uh, Real hard, and it's real hard to talk about, even today. Oh, I, I understand. I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine, Rick. Tell me, tell me about Josh, though. What was he like growing up? Tell me, tell me what he liked and what you, what you admired about him. Um, his ability to say that he's going to do something, and and he did it. He had very poor eyesight uh, as a child growing up. And he, as, even as a little guy, he wore very thick glasses, and to get him to where he needed to be, he had to wear glasses all of his life. So that was a, a handicap for a six-month-old up until he was 24 when he passed, when he was killed. So he struggled with that part of it. And then, uh, but he was a good kid, played soccer. He uh, didn't have a whole lot of trouble with him, other than he was just a you know average kid, and, you know, he did wrong and he did right, but he always fixed it. So, Rick, you said you uh, you spoke with him just a uh, a few days before he passed. Can you tell us a little bit about that conversation you had with your son? Uh, yes, uh, he had called and said that he had got his sergeant stripes while he was over there. He was uh, every promotion that he got, he got field promoted. He didn't uh, didn't take a test. He didn't. Uh, go through regular channels. They seen that he was a leader 
uh, the Marine Corps did and gave him his uh, his stripes meritoriously and rather than uh, having to go through a bunch of rigmarole to get it. That's a pretty big honor, though. If if, it, you're, if, a, if if you're performing and they say you're somebody that's that's doing right, that's an honor. Yes, he uh, he was very good at what he did. He found that niche in his life, which was leading men. Um, that was probably his biggest contribution. Was that he wasn't going to leave his men behind and. Uh, he also won the bronze star with the beat for valor for the first time over for going out and laying down suppressing fire while one of his buddies were wounded in the middle of the street uh, and also got him back to safety. And when he went back out, there was a Humvee, a medic Humvee pulling up to get his buddy out, and it was hit by an RPG. And he laid down suppressing fire to pull them out also. So he he did okay by his men. You know, Rick, we hear people say too, and you know, trying to understand why their loved one ended up dying or getting killed. They struggle to understand it. They think their life was cut short and it's very understandable, but you know, maybe this was your son's calling. You know, maybe well, maybe this was it. Does that ever? Do you ever think that way? Yes, I do. That that part of it, and I'm not a religious man per se, uh, but I always think that someone, somewhere, or something said that you know you were done. You did what you were supposed to do on this earth, and now it's time for it to end. And with that, and what we have done as a family with the Some Gave All, uh, I, I think it has continued to give even after he's been gone. Yeah, so your family has set up a foundation, the Some Give All Foundation, with another father who lost his son that, that you're friends with, right? That is very true. Uh, the Mason uh, and I, we went to high school together, and... From We were from a small town, and we started first grade together and went all the way through 12th grade together, knowing each other, and even having classes together. So when they lost their son in 04 in Iraq, then when I lost mine, uh, it was kind of a natural progression that we were to do something for the boys. What does the foundation do? Well, we we support our local vet. Uh, the money that we raise, we do a motorcycle ride once a year, which is coming up, which is about the only thing that we do. Um, we give to our local vet, uh, men and women with uh, PTSD, uh, TBI, uh, amputees. Uh, they fill out a online form. Uh, making sure that their DD5s and everything are in order, that they are disabled. And we, as a, as a group, which consists of three of us now, will look at their application and decide whether or not they get X number of dollars or not. Wow, that's, that's, that is so good to hear you. You know what? Unfortunately, 
Um, the Veterans Administration is not done what they're supposed to do to, to take care of vets, so it's incumbent on people like us, I guess, right? That is true. I mean, what we do, the Veterans Administration can't do. We've given uh, a riding lawnmower to a young lady who had TBI. I mean, the, the Veterans Administration not going to give her $1,000 to go and buy a riding lawnmower. We did. A uh, young man who was uh, an amputee, from a IED, uh, had a he had to step over into a bathtub to have a shower. Well, we went in, knocked out a uh, linen closet, and put a walk-in shower with no curb, so he was able to get in and out minimally. And that was that's just two of the examples that we've done. So while the Veterans Administration is having a hard time providing basic services to our veterans. You guys are going out there and providing them with things that they actually need to make their lives more livable. Exactly. You know, everything from uh, having a car repaired or getting behind on uh, uh, their house payment because of illness or, or whatever it may be, as long as they are worthy. Not that all of the veterans aren't worthy. It's just that you have to be careful where your money is spent because like I like to tell people this is not my money this is the riders the motorcycle people the people who give donations it's their money we are just the caretakers of it so every year on Memorial Day your your son Josh has to cross your mind what does Memorial Day mean to you now more of an honor now that we have lost him, that now we have someone that we can look towards and say, yes, uh, Memorial Day is the day of ours, uh, my family. And that makes a big difference than, you know, before it used to be, okay, Memorial Day was a day off. It, it was a day to ride to the wall and honor the men and women from Vietnam whose names are there, which I did do religiously, and I still do. So I was always doing my part for Memorial Day, I feel. But now it means even more. Rick, thank you so much for sharing your son's story. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. We continue to recall how fortunate and appreciative we are on this Memorial Day when our special presentation, Reflections from a Grateful Nation, continues on the Blaze Radio Network. Reflections from a Grateful Nation, a special presentation on the Blaze Radio Network. Eric is with us now on Reflections from a Grateful Nation. Eric, where and when did you serve? I uh, I was stationed in Germany in 2010, and we deployed to Afghanistan in March. What branch of the service? Oh, I was in the uh, Army. And you got to witness firsthand... Some people who who paid the ultimate price for America, right? Unfortunately, yes. You had some that are really close to you, too, right? Yeah, Baby Prittums is my boy. Tell me about him. Uh, 
Well, uh, we went to basic together, actually. We uh, went to Fort Knox, the armor school, both 19-kilo Abrams crew members. Uh, he's 19 years old. He's from Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, he's just trying to, to honestly get away from the life that he was kind of stuck in. And that was the best way he could figure out. So he, he signed up and, you know, he, he went through the Army GED course and, and uh, went to basic at Fort Knox. And we ended up being uh, getting pretty close in basic. And uh, then when we found out we were both going to Germany, we got pretty excited. And, uh, you know, we ended up actually being roommates when we got to Germany. So we were all right with that. Now, he's just, a, he's a crazy kid. He was, he was a lot of fun. He was hilarious. Like, always, always had everybody in stitches, even if he didn't mean to. <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, right before we deployed, he married his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, she ended up getting pregnant. And the whole time we were gone, all he talked about was getting home. And it started out, he, he was dead set on a boy. Like he was, he's going to have a baby boy. And when he found out it was a girl, you know, he was like, well, I'll just pretend it's a boy. <laughs> you know? so he, he was planning on, on raising himself a son, win, lose, or draw. <laughs> all he talked about was uh, that, that little baby. So you got really close to to him, and then you guys ended up going to Afghanistan. And what happened there? Yeah. We were stationed at uh, Bob Bullard in the Bull Province, and uh, we were doing a a resupply run, and you know, get food and, and and our mail and all that sort of fun stuff, and you know, stuff we needed to maintain life, I guess. And uh, we had made the run down. It's it was about a I took us about twelve hours to get there because we had to dismount every time we came up to something fishy and check it out and make sure everything was okay and so it was a, a slow process but we got there and we spent about three days there and we were supposed to leave out on wednesday but they decided to push us forward and and they wanted to leave out tuesday instead and so we got our mission brief that we were leaving a day early in broad daylight and we were all kind of upset about that you know it's not our call you know we got mission ready and loaded up and started heading back and we came to a, a spot where they had, uh, the Taliban had several times blown a bridge apart. The Army Corps come in and the Corps of Engineers come in and rebuilt a bridge there and they blew it up again. And, and, uh, I was on the clearing team. So at the, that point, you know, they had decided to just make a bypass around the bridge. So it went down into this big river bed. When we were pulling down in, it was very much not, it, it just reeked of not right. So we stopped. Me and, the other guy that I was clearing with, we dismounted and we searched the area and we're looking around trying to find anything we could find because everybody knew it wasn't going right. The, it just looked off. We we looked for probably the better part of a half an hour and found nothing other than, you know, fresh dug dirt. All we really had to go on. We pushed through. Uh, the lead Vic went through and then my Vic went through and I was still on the ground and I uh, I walked up the hill, got in the truck. No sooner than I shut the door, I heard the heard the blast. Turned around, and there's just a huge cloud of smoke. Jumped back out and ran back down the hill to start doing render aid, you know, trying to see if we couldn't save somebody. There were five people in the vehicle. 
one of them was a guy from another platoon that we had picked up and we were going to drop off on his way back. And the interpreter were in the back of the truck where we had thrown all the laundry. And uh, then there was PFC Freedom was driving. Sergeant Mark, Staff Sergeant Mark Ayers Mendez was uh, the vehicle commander. And Specialist Roger Lee was the gunner. When it hit, it, it basically just removed the entire front of the vehicle. When I was running down the hill, I tripped over the steering wheel on my way down to, to try and help. Got down there, and they, they pulled me off and told me to go pull security and let the medics handle it. So I went, and I, I set up security and kept my eyes open and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited to find something out. And one of my buddies come over and said they got a bird inbound, and I was, you know, holding on to hope. You know, they were in a minor-resistant vehicle. What they're supposed to do, take hits like that and everybody be okay. It wasn't until the, the bird left that they actually told me that uh, PFC Pridham and Staff Sarnares Mendez were killed instantly, and Specialist Lee was on his way to the hospital. And uh, they were hopeful, but they, you know, couldn't say for sure if he was going to pull through. So we uh, kind of just loaded up, you know, did the recovery of the vehicle. The Turp and the, the other guy that we had picked up, they were perfectly fine when the the blast went off and it picked the truck up the laundry pretty much patted them and they i mean the dirt had a broken arm and the other guy didn't have any injuries at all we made it back to the to the fob and everybody was just kind of standing there they called us all together and told us that lee didn't make it yeah i got i gotta believe i gotta believe in that situation you gotta think you know why not me do you ever think that? Uh, I had tried very, 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 very hard to get Pridham to trade spots with me. I really wanted to drive that day. And he said, you know what, Tyson? I hate to break it to you, but I'm a little too lazy. So wow. uh, I, I tried to get him to let me drive that truck that day, and he would not do it. That's incredible. That's You're here because of him. So... He not only sacrificed for America, unknowingly, he sacrificed for you, too. Yeah. I'll tell you what, July 6th is never never an easy day for me. <laughs> Eric, j- just how much do you miss your friend, Private Prendham? I think about him an awful lot. Of, you know, everybody used to joke because I'm kind of a neat freak, so, and he's just a slob. So when we shared a room, he would always go out and just buy a whole bunch of food. He kept the fridge like fully stocked at all times and there was always food. And I kept the room like clean because I was, you know, I I was the kind of guy who hated the surprise inspections. So I made sure everything was straight all the time. And uh, everybody joked around that we made the best domestic partners ever. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like the odd couple. Yeah. He had actually uh, wrote, he took one of my notebooks that I had and wrote Domestic Partners for Life on the on the front cover of it. And I've still got that. You know what? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a great story, too. That sounds like, sounds like my type of guy if he's keeping the refrigerator stock, too. Sounds like somebody I'd yeah. like. <laughs> Tell us, uh, real, real quick before we let you go, Eric, what does Memorial Day mean to you now versus maybe when you were a kid or now since, you know, returning and you, you think about your friend? What does Memorial Day mean to you? What What is it about? 
honestly, it, it's kind of frustrating to me now because, you know, I've, I've had that experience, you know, Sarner's Mendez and I, he was, he was our mechanic and we would talk for hours on end about Volkswagen because we're both Volkswagen fans. And, uh, you know, we would just sit there and talk at length about, you know, when we get back to Germany, we were going to find us a, an old VW rabbit and we we're going to restore it. And, you know, he's going to teach me a thing or two because he'd been in the, the VW culture since he was a young kid. And, you know, Pridham's, we, we were together all the time. Lee and I got sent out on a, on a forward mission to build the fob before anybody else came out there. So it was me, him and two other guys for about four weeks, you know, just hanging out, you know, building a fob, making, building tents. I got, I got pretty close to all three of them. You know, it, <laughs> people hear Memorial day and all they they think about getting drunk and having a barbecue and, and, and to me, it's those three, you know, and that's, it makes it tough to kind of enjoy myself, you know. Yeah, a couple of days off work and you know, cut loose, but it, it's, I don't know, I just... To you, it's your three buddies, right? Yes, sir. That's, that's all it is, is Freedom, Tarners, Mendez, and Lee. You know, Eric, I, I feel the same you way, know. and over the years I've been increasingly frustrated with, um, you know, people not understanding what Memorial Day is about. And I still feel that way, but I've come around just a little bit, Eric, because I got to believe your friends, although they're they're gone and you're not around them, if they were here for a second, I think they'd tell you, you know what, Eric, you go ahead and have that barbecue and you drink a beer to us. Uh, no freedom, would. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, thank you so much for sharing their stories and sharing with us. I appreciate y'all doing this. Thank you very much. All right, sir. Bye-bye. You're listening to a Memorial Day special presentation. Reflections from a Grateful Nation from the Blaze Radio Network. Reflections from a Grateful Nation, a special presentation on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, it's Doc and Skip. We're regularly heard weekday mornings on the Blaze Radio Network. A friend of ours, Laverne, joins us now. She's the chancellor of the Better Yourself Challenge from our morning broadcast. Laverne, you have somebody that you would like us to honor this Memorial Day weekend? His name is Kenneth he left such an impression on me. He was our hired hand. I grew up on a farm in West Kentucky, and from the moment I was born, Kenneth worked for my parents. He wasn't a lot younger than my dad, actually, but uh, he would come home. He would come back in after school, and he would come work on the farm, work for us during the summer. And so, you know, he was he was like an older brother, really. Uh, you know, running around the farm, and if you're, I was born in '62. Vietnam, you know, happened. You know, in the mid sixties, late sixties, and um, he was drafted right out of high school. And I can remember, you know, so clearly him leaving for Vietnam, and I was so proud of him because I thought, you know, here he here he is. He was always my hero, and here he was now going off to be a soldier. And I just remember how thinking about how incredible that was. But then, just a moment later, 
we were getting a phone call. I mean, I'll never forget it. My mom gets a phone call, and she immediately is upset. And we get in the car, and we drive to the field. And so I knew there was something wrong because you didn't drive to the field in the car unless something was terribly wrong. And she had gone and gotten my dad off the tractor to tell him that Kenneth had got killed, and he had stepped on the mine. I remember going to his funeral, him being under glass. I, the, the, the weirdness of it all as a child, because that was like in 69. So, you know, uh, by this so you time, got so you got a weird time, first of all, in American history, yeah. you've got a weird war and you're a child yeah. trying to process this. And then it happened so quickly. Right. I mean, he, he, he left and then got killed shortly after. With three, his tour started in July and he was gone by September. And I can remember growing up and, you know, watching the hippies protest the war and just being enraged. Uh, I, I was I was never anything but a patriot. You know, weepy at the at the national anthem, and it was all because of Kenneth. Um, he he left such an impression. Kenneth was just twenty years old, just twenty years old when he you know fought and died for our country. And just trying to make sense of all that, I sometimes I still I still try to understand Vietnam. You know, a friend of mine, her brother died in Vietnam, and just a bona fide hero. But uh, Terry's, she said, you know, Terry and, and Kenneth didn't die for us to be sad about with that black, black wall, you know, that we have with all the names. She says, but then there's that memorial where that man is walking into the black wall. She said, they died so we would take better care of their brothers. It's just, it's just one of those things that it has stayed with me my entire life. Kenneth has always been a part of our life. Whenever his parents' estate sale happened, I went and had an opportunity to buy a military helmet that he had and I keep that on display in my house you know you've got military in your family it changes you you mentioned that about about them coming back and they you know they they would want us to take care of their brothers the people who did come back that's that's not just Vietnam I mean that's one of the reasons I'm so frustrated by the the VA and and Skip and I have started that hashtag fix the VA campaign with our with our videos and that these are real people these are people who who need your help, and the VA is is not taking care of them? Mm-mm, not at all. And I mean, and it's a constant thing. The people, like I said, I work in benevolence, and it's weekly at least, maybe not. You know, maybe sometimes even daily, where we'll have the vet come in, and oftentimes it's somebody that is from the Vietnam era that cannot get the help in the VA, or they just you know can't, can't even get a doctor's appointment. To, to get the help that they need, and a lot of them are homeless, living on the street. Just it's 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 so obscene what they died for, and what we're stepping up and, and doing as a result of that gift, you know. And um, I think that's what Memorial Day is about: is to remind us that what we have did not come without a price, and that in repayment for that price, that we can do better by those who went and served, and do better in the memory of, of of those who paid the ultimate price. You know, because that's ultimately the first and foremost thing they want us to do is take care of those that stood alongside them. Laverne, thank you so much for sharing this Kenneth story. You're you're welcome. You're welcome, guys. And thank y'all for putting this together. You're listening to a Memorial Day special presentation. Reflections from a Grateful Nation. A special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. 
Is it Chicago's O'Hare? They're telling you to be there three hours ahead of time. And, and we, uh, yes, and we've, they've already come out. I mean, TSA has come out and said how they're they're trying to streamline it. American Airlines said today they're gonna they're gonna start adding, helping them out. They're giving like four million to private stuff to help the TSA out ease the line. Pat and Stu, weekdays at five p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Every day. Thousands of opportunities, freedoms, and privileges surround us, seemingly unnoticed. Today, Memorial Day, we're reminded of the brave men and women who take the biggest risks so that we may have even the smallest indulgences. Let us never forget the depth of their sacrifice. Now, the Blaze Radio Network presents Reflections from a Grateful Nation. I'm Doc Thompson, along with Skip Lacombe. We're regularly heard weekday mornings on the Blaze Radio Network. And we have a special honor this weekend to present you with reflections from a grateful nation. We're telling stories of people who died in sacrifice to America. We figure that's one of the best ways we can honor people. There are millions of people who died in service to America, but most of them we don't know. We know some of the the, the heroes, as we label them, uh, people who have been recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor, people who have a particular story that makes the news. But they're all heroes, aren't they? Absolutely. In fact, one of the stories I often think about is actually when I was out in Richmond, Virginia for your wedding. I was driving by and I saw a military cemetery and I decided, oh, I'm going to check that out. Take a quick look. I could see the white headstones all perfectly aligned in rows and, and, and columns. And I, I got closer and I was walking around and I noticed most of the headstones said unknown U.S. soldier. Think about that, Skip. Every one of those is a story, is a person who had people that love them, and most of them we don't know anything about. One thing I appreciate is, despite the fact that we don't know them, I mean, our government, our military, still gave them a honorable burial and did their best to try to memorialize them. So that's the reason we're telling stories, introducing you to people that you might not otherwise know. And that's what we're doing. On Twitter, use the hashtag RememberMemorialDay. It's fine to tell people Happy Memorial Day, but it's also nice to tell them hashtag RememberMemorialDay. Yeah, please tweet at us, too. It's at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe. We'll be active all weekend long. I got to take a moment and turn this just a slight different direction. When you hear these stories about people who died and you think, boy, it would have been nice if they could have lived, having served but lived. There are all kinds of people who serve this country honorably and are fortunate enough to live. And then they come home and they are either forgotten or killed by the Veterans Administration. And I don't think that's too strong to say killed. Skip, there have been people who have been killed by the Veterans Administration. Absolutely. There have been several stories out of several VA hospitals all across the country of mishandling information, mishandling dosages, and people have died because of that. Just a few weeks ago, we got story that there are four more people that are being questioned. Were they killed by the Veterans Administration in Memphis? And this has been something Skip and I have been on for a while. We are going to turn this Veterans Administration around. It may take me 20 years, but we're going to get this thing done because we are relentless. We tell the stories of people who suffer at the hands of the Veterans Administration, people who have died at the hands of the Veterans Administration. We tell the story on our morning radio program and through videos we've produced of people who have taken their lives because they couldn't get help, people who tried to take their lives, and we're going to stay on this. We need your help, though. 
Get us information. If you're a whistleblower, if you know somebody who's willing to blow the whistle, we'll keep you anonymous. Contact us, skip at theblaze.com. We need stories. We will continue to hammer the Veterans Administration. We must change this because they're not going to change it. And the failures of the Veterans Administration are not something that popped up last Tuesday or a year ago. This is something that has been gone going on since the inception of America. Do you realize we promised Revolutionary War veterans, all kinds of things, bonuses and money? We didn't come through on it. Civil War veterans, we screwed them over too. When have we ever truly taken care of our veterans, those people that signed up to defend our freedom, to defend the Constitution, to go to war and to lay down their lives, and we can't even fulfill the promises we've made to them? While we cannot save the people who have died in service to America that we honor this weekend, there's all kinds of veterans we can save. Use the hashtag FixTheVA, get us stories, so we can share them. Get us information so we can take it to Washington, D.C. and blow the whistle and change this thing. If you want to change the Veterans Administration, ultimately, it's getting veterans a card that they can get medical help anywhere, not just through the Veterans Administration, and ultimately, shutting that thing down. Slowly over time to make sure veterans are not injured during that process. And I really don't think we'd see angry Doc at the I Memorial know, Day special. So frustrated by this because we can actually do something to save these veterans. Get us the information and use the hashtag fix the VA if you're on, on Twitter. Let me ask you something, Skip. Do you think most people are grateful for the sacrifices that the people we honor this weekend made. I mean, I think most people would say that they are and that they uh, would like to think that they are. But at the end of the day, uh, at the end of most Memorial Days, people don't actually take any time to sit down and actually remember and actually give thanks for those people. So, I, and I agree with you. I think it's a lack of knowledge. If you actually said, hey, this is what happened, I think most Americans, except outright crazy people, would be like, wow, I, I had no idea they did that for me. They just don't know. A lot of times younger people, they'll say, oh, they don't understand. They don't care. It's just a lack of information. That's what this special, Reflections from a Grateful Nation, is about. Giving people the information so they can feel that gratitude and express that gratitude. That's why I'm thankful to be able to help present a program like this, too, because it is. I mean, it's hard to listen to a program like this over your Memorial Day weekend and not take a moment to think, golly, I, I had no idea. I mean... Thank you to all those people who serve day and night. We're going to tell more of those stories coming up next on Reflections from a Grateful Nation. Taking a deeper look at our appreciation for the freedoms we have. This is Reflections from a Grateful Nation, a special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. Reflections from a Grateful Nation continues now. Hi, it's Doc and Skip from the Blaze Radio Network, and this is Reflections from a Grateful Nation this Memorial Day weekend. Do you know what Memorial Day was originally called? Uh, yeah, it was Decoration Day, actually. Right. Um, had to do with they would uh, go and decorate the uh, gravestones in, I think, Illinois somewhere? Yeah, and it was after uh, the Civil War. Okay. They said, let's go ahead and honor them by decorating their gravestones. Yeah. There is a poem by Longfellow called Decoration Day. Oh, really? 
Sleep, comrade, sleep and rest on this field of the grounded arms, where foes no more molest nor sentries shot alarms. You've slept on the ground before, and startled to your feet at the cannon's sudden roar, or the drum's redoubling beat. But in this camp of death no sound your slumber breaks, here is no fevered breath, no wound that bleeds and aches. All is repose and peace, untrampled lies the sod, the shouts of battle cease, it is the truce of God. Rest, comrades, rest and sleep, the thoughts of men shall be as sentinels to keep your rest from danger free. Your silent tents of green we deck with fragrant flowers. Yours has the suffering been. The memory shall be ours. So much like supposed to like snap my fingers okay, here. Okay, you know, I try to do something nice there. I Class the joint up a little bit. You've got to give me the business. to the special. Perhaps we just move on. Leonard joins us now. Leonard, where and when did you serve? Um, I've been in the Army for about 15 years. Uh, I've done four deployments, one of them in Kuwait, two of them to Iraq, and one of them to Afghanistan. You have firsthand knowledge of people who, who died in service to America. Um, yes, uh, I had three soldiers who served uh, with me in 2007 when I was in Iraq. I was a infantry platoon leader for uh, Bravo Company 2-3 Infantry out of Fort Lewis, uh, part of 3rd Brigade's 2nd Infantry Division. And uh, we were doing operations in or outside of Sadr City in Baghdad. Um, in the 31st of July, 2007, uh, we were coming back from a patrol when uh, the lead vehicle in our convoy was hit by a, a three-array explosively formed penetrator, EFT. And um, uh, the IED hit, the, like I said, the lead vehicle, and three of the soldiers inside were killed. They were PFC Alfred Jariola, uh, Specialist Zachariah Gonzalez, and Specialist Charles Heinlein. How close were you with them? Um... I was a platoon leader. Uh, I was a, a second lieutenant at the time, so I wasn't as close to them as, say, their friends were, but I had daily interaction with them. I knew all of them by name. I spent some time with each of them. Um, specialist timeline, Charles, Charlie, he was called. I He was probably the, the one I knew the most about. Um, we would take the bus to the dining facility together occasionally. He was from Hemlock, Michigan. Um, it, it was funny. I connected to him on a level that uh, would be unexpected. We talked about the show Babylon 5 a lot. He was really into uh, science fiction. Uh, he was a Dungeons & Dragons player. He was a really uh, eclectic guy, we'll say. He uh, he was a Wiccan, and I'm a Christian, so we would square off sometimes about religion. But uh, he was a really great guy. I, I, I want to talk about Specialist um, Jariola. Something that I found when we talk about soldiers who have passed away is that people always talk about how great they were, how they, like they're a paragon of virtue that there wasn't anything they did wrong. And I think that that does a disservice to understanding that these were real people. Uh, I mean, some of them had flaws. Dryola uh, had gotten into some trouble and he'd gotten removed from the platoon right when I arrived to it. But all of his friends were in the platoon, and he asked over and over again. He wanted back in the platoon. He wanted back in the platoon. He wanted to be back where his friends were. He wanted to be back watching their backs. And uh, eventually, uh, I guess it's just a few weeks before the uh, the incident, he we brought him back into the platoon. And so he was there with his friends, and had he not wanted to be with them, he would have been safe in some other section. 
Zach Gonzalez. It, everyone called him Gonzo. It, not exactly an original nickname, but I mean, that's what he went by. Uh, he was from Indiana. Um, he started, I identified with him a lot. He started out in the Army Reserve as a cook, and I started out in the Reserve as a cook as well uh, as an enlisted man. So we, there were things that we could talk about that we could share that some of the other guys in the platoon, you know, they, they missed out on the inside jokes that we, we could share. <laughs> um, but uh, he... He wanted to do more. He transferred to the active army, and be, instead of staying as a cook, you know, something that would keep you relatively safe, he wanted to be an infantryman. And he went reclassed as an infantryman and ended up in Iraq with us. So, again, another he he really was a great guy. Being as though you were the platoon leader, I I got to imagine there has to be at least some semblance or feelings of guilt. Being as though these these kids were were under your control and and, and safety and uh, and judgment and wise, there has to be some sort of sense of guilt with that. Um, absolutely. Um, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about what happened and what I could have done differently. Uh, that that would have changed the way the situation went down. Um, because of that, there was a long period of time where I separated myself uh, from the platoon. I I left. Uh, the platoon to become the company XO when we got back to uh, Fort Lewis. And I never felt comfortable really talking to uh, some of the guys about it because I I felt responsible. I was the one that planned the mission. I chose the route we were going to take and I led the platoon into an ambush essentially. So um, I, I, that's something I still fight with a, a good bit. Over and over. Did you, did you play out that scene? over and over in your mind, see it like a movie going backwards and forwards? Yes. Um, I can I can tell you down details from that day down to the color of the smoke grenades that got thrown off the vehicle and set off. Um, I To this day, I can look at a picture or a map of Baghdad and put my finger exactly where we were when the incident happened. That, that never faded. Is this what returning veterans that have so many troubles readjusting. Is this what they go through? Is this why we have so many veterans that are taking their own lives because they can't readjust from what you just described? You know, I have to say, I can't put my finger on any one thing and say, this is the cause of the, the failures to reintegrate. Um, every person has a different trigger. They have a different story. I think for a lot of guys, it's, you will never feel more alive than you do immediately after escaping some sort of situation that could have killed you. It's like, I'm alive. And then immediately following that, there's the guilt that I'm alive, but someone else isn't, if, if that happened in the incident. So there's, you know, a, the greatest jubilation followed by the greatest of guilt, back to back, back and forth, back and forth. So I know there are people that have had problems with that. Um, and I know guys who got out of the Army, um, and there's nothing that they can do that can compare with what they did uh, after after surviving combat. Everything else ring, kind of rings hollow. So I, that the camaraderie and when you when you're in the army when you've done these things, I, I can look over to my NCO who's sitting across uh, the office from me. I can tell him these stories, and he can tell me comparable stories, and we can we can relate to each other. You get onto the outside, and when you separate from that community, 
um, I can't remember the exact statistic, but what is it? 1% of the U.S. population is served in any capacity. Very low. You know, that 1% and, and even smaller percentage is actually seeing combat. There's no one, there's no one that can connect, they can connect with. That's why we wanted to talk with people like you this Memorial Day weekend because not only did I not serve, not only have I not been in combat, I don't know anybody who died as as part of their service to America. So you have served and know people. So what is Memorial Day to you? To me, that that's one of those times that I step back and I remember the people that aren't with me. I told you about uh, the, the three guys that were in my platoon. There's another soldier that uh, I knew, well, two more that I knew that died in action, uh, Second Lieutenant Tracy Alger. I went through officer candidate school with her at Fort Benning, and we lost contact uh, after we graduated and moved along. She went through her assignment, and I went on to others. Um, but it's times that uh, I, I can think back and remind others, like, I may be here, but there are people who aren't. And this is the time, you should remember them all the time, but specifically, this is an opportunity to do something to remember them. First Lieutenant Jared Southworth, I went through uh, the basic officer leadership course, phase two with him. It's between your commissioning and your branch school. He was killed by an IED in Afghanistan along with one of his soldiers in Helmand province in uh, February of 2009. I, he was one of the coolest guys I ever knew. He was a uh, uh, an Illinois National Guardsman, and he was on the police department in uh, Oakland, Illinois. And he's one of these guys that he served every day, and then he took it one step further. He served his community, and then he was in the guard as well. Um, he was one of these guys that helped me become a better officer. He helped me with my PT. He helped build me up. He's he's the greatest memory I have of him is we're doing a PT test and I'm running and I'm just kind of hating life and he runs past me with this stupid grin on his face like hey I just watched you you better catch up and he just took off past me he was he was that kind of guy and when he was killed he left behind a wife and four children um between the ages of seven and two so that was about I guess it was eight years ago so they'd be between 16 and 11 now. There's still kids that are affected by this. Um, Tracy, she was 30 years old when she passed away. Um, she had been in Iraq for two weeks when she was killed by an IED. She was doing a logistics uh, mission. She was in a convoy taking goods out to uh, one of her units, and she hit an IED. So um, one other thing about... Um, Private Jariola, he had two daughters and a wife that he left behind. So, I mean, these were real people. Um, they left families. They left loved ones. But more than anything, I feel that everyone who knew them, we were better people for knowing them. And uh, that's probably the best thing I think I could say about them. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for, for opening up about something that's I'm sure not easy to talk about and do your best to have a happy Memorial Day on Twitter all weekend long. We're using the hashtag remember Memorial Day. That's hashtag remember Memorial Day. And if you would, please follow at Doc Thompson show and at Skip Lacombe. And if you missed any of this special and want to go back and listen to it, the entire thing will be posted at the dot com slash radio.
That website again? Theblaze.com slash radio. Coming up next, we'll have more stories on this Reflections from a Grateful Nation. Are you going to read any more poems, too? I just Maybe like some Robert Frost, some Shakespeare, Walt Whitman? I thought it was nice. We continue to recall how fortunate and appreciative we are on this Memorial Day when our special presentation, Reflections from a Grateful Nation, continues on the Blaze Radio Network. from a grateful nation on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Doc Thompson along with Skip Lacombe. Mike was involved in a battle that he always thinks about, especially on Memorial Day. Mike, tell us about that day. The date was the 13th of June, 2006. I started about 10 a.m. By the end of the day, uh, and the day didn't really stop until the 14th of June. And uh, Sergeant Pena, when he he was evacuated um, on the 13th of June, at that point it was still considered a medical evacuation um, until he reached a hospital that had a doctor who could sign a, a death certificate. So he his official date of death was um, the 14th of June 2006, which is coincidentally the Army's birthday is the 14th of June. They at 10 a.m. got attacked in uh, Regay, Afghanistan, fought our way through it for most of the rest of the day. The British QRF arrived uh, somewhere around uh, 5 p.m. We spent the night a little, a little distance away, only about 500 meters away from uh, where we got ambushed. And then uh, later that night, really early the next morning, about 2 a.m., uh, we got attacked again. Uh, my gunner, uh, manning the 50 caliber machine gun on the top of my vehicle, was injured uh, pretty severely. And uh, my assistant gunner was injured. Uh, I mean, he was injured. It wasn't tremendously bad, but he still got medevac. So we medevac those guys about 3.30, 4 o'clock on the 14th of June. And then sometime around 10 a.m. on the 14th of June, we started... Uh, exfiltrating from that location to a place that was further out in the desert that we had better, um, where we could secure ourselves a little bit better. What was the, the size of the fighting force that you were up against, and, and, and how many people were with you? I had 28 uh, American soldiers, uh, and then there were the estimate from the intelligence people after the ambush uh, suggested that there were 40 to 50 Taliban that attacked us. Tell me about Roger. Were you particularly close with Roger? Uh, not tremendously. He he was in uh, an attachment to my unit. Uh, he became he got attached to my unit in April or early May of 2006. Um, I got to know him a little bit. He was a he was a man of faith. He had. Uh, two very young children. Um, both of them were under the age of three. Um, he was a medic, so he 
he was the he was the guy. You know, we had two medics in my in my unit at the moment, and uh, we were, you know, both of them were doc. They're always doc when they're a medic in a unit that size. Um, and he was all the way, quite literally, all the way up until the moment that he was killed. He was taking care of the people in his vehicle. Um, the you know the gunner on a Humpy sticks out from the top of the vehicle. So when um, when you start taking small arms fire, that's the guy who's the most vulnerable. What does Memorial Day mean to you now, having served, having served in combat, and having been around people who who died? Well, uh, for me, it's uh, I've got a couple of days throughout the year that are really days of sort of remembrance. Um, you know, the, the 14th of June is a big one for me. Uh, the 10th of March is another one because I had a soldier who was there with me in Afghanistan who uh, got killed on the 10th of March, 2011. He went back to Afghanistan and got killed um, in 2011. And then uh, Memorial Day for me is, is another day where I can kind of reflect on the service that other people provide and it kind of reinvigorates my motivation to continue to do well in the army because I mean, these men have given up everything in their lives. Their families have suffered tremendously. Um, and I owe it to them to serve them, their memories well and serve, continue to serve for their families so that their families can continue to have trust and faith in the military, uh, in the years going forward. You know, you just touched on something that I've never really considered before, that it's not just sacrificing your life when when you die while defending America. You're also sacrificing part of your family because they are going to do without you, either um, as a provider, uh, as support, or they are just going to carry that loss with them as well. So... For those people who who sacrificed for America, they gave up more than their life. Yeah, exactly. I really, I really think that my wife and now my children, um, frankly, sacrifice more and absorb more sacrifice when I'm away uh, than I do. Um, I'm doing my job, the thing that I volunteered for. And while my wife knew that she was marrying a soldier when she married me. She didn't realize that I was going to continue to go away every three or four years for a year at a time. Um, my my second child was born seven days before I deployed to Iraq on my last uh, deployment in 2011, and you know, so both of my children now have experienced uh, years away from their father, and my wife has experienced three years away from her husband while I was off doing the work of the nation in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's a, that's a great way to put it. You're right. They, um, they often suffer more than, than, than others do, than people who are serving do. One more quick thing. Uh, you know, something I had never thought about um, is the situation described to us happened in 2006. That means the, um, the children who are both under three are, are now teenagers or going to be shortly, right? Yeah. 
I mean, that's, uh, yeah. that's amazing. Here they are 10 years later after this happened, never having their father around. That's, that's quite a perspective. Yeah. And, and that family, I mean, I know that that family has, um, continued to, uh, talk about, uh, Roger through the years. Um, every year around the Army's birthday, I see, you know, between Facebook and other websites, I see posts from their family talking about how the children are still, you know, they still recognize their father as their father, even though he hasn't been around for the last decade. Mike, what are your plans for this Memorial Day? How are you going to celebrate the day? Uh, we, we typically, in our family, we don't go party or anything else. We just kind of hang out together as a family um you know if i do if we do anything this year it'll be uh probably with a couple of my army buddies and uh just kind of hang out and chill um for me it's a little disingenuous when people party and have a grand old time on memorial day it's the start of summer for me and my friends that's not what it's about um you know it's really about remembering other people's service and their sacrifice and our own service. And like I said, it's sort of a reintegration of our motivation to continue to do well. That's one of the reasons Skip and I have started saying, remember Memorial Day in addition to Happy Memorial Day. It's always odd to say Happy Memorial Day, but we try to focus more, especially on uh, Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, with the hashtag Remember Memorial Day. Because for a lot of people, I think, Mike, if you just plant that one thought in their head. If they can take just a moment, Memorial Day weekend, and say, okay, okay, I'll remember. I get it. I think that's important. Yeah, I think so, too. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and the story of, of what you and others have been through. Yeah, no problem. You're listening to a Memorial Day special presentation. Reflections from a Grateful Nation from the Blaze Radio Network. Reflections from a Grateful Nation, a special presentation on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. We're joined by Karen now. Karen, you lost a son? I did. Uh, My son was a member of SEAL Team 6, Aaron Vaughn. He was a chief uh, special warfare operator, and he lost his life in the single largest loss of life in the history of naval special warfare, and still to date, the largest one-day loss of life in this entire war, and that was the shoot-down of Extortion 17 on August 6, 2011. Well, first of all, thank you for your son's sacrifice, and thank you for your sacrifice. What does Memorial Day mean to you in light of your son having paid the ultimate price? You know, it was a really odd thing, the first Memorial Day our family uh, experienced after Aaron's death. Even though my son had been in the military for almost 10 years before he died, uh, Memorial Day always hit me as a day for barbecues and and fun and celebration and family. And, you know, I remember when that Memorial Day came around in 2012, and we just all looked at each other and thought, oh, my God, we have never 
honestly considered what this day represents for so many families across this nation. And, you know, it, and, and it took on just such a somber meaning after that point. And, and, you know, I just think that, of course, you know, my son would want families to get together on that Monday and celebrate and enjoy their backyard barbecues. But I think he'd also, and all those who, who have fallen in service to this country, I think they would also just want families to take a minute to consider how incredibly blessed they are to live in this free nation. And that freedom came at great, great expense to so many. And so, you know, while people are having fun, I just also, you know, ask if they just stop and consider those things that I know Aaron would wish they would consider. It's nice to hear so many parents or loved ones who've lost somebody um, be involved, and you're really involved. What is Operation 300? Well, after Aaron's death, Aaron left behind two small children, a son who was not quite two and a daughter who was actually only nine weeks old. And after his death, his wife kept expressing the same sentiment. She kept saying over and over again, who's going to teach my kids? to do the things that their dad would have done with them. And, you know, it just kind of got under our skin as a family, and we founded Operation 300 in light of that. And what Operation 300 is, is it's an extreme adventure camp for kids who have lost a father in service to their nation. And so we bring these kids up and pair them with father-age male mentors for a weekend of just extreme fun. I mean, they go sailing, they go deep-sea fishing, they learn to surf, they shoot guns, they shoot bow and arrows, they they do trail rides. I mean, just, just everything you can imagine that kids would do with their dads. We even get them down to the Gator Boys in Fort Lauderdale and let them, uh, you know, handle small <laughs> alligators. Things, that sounds like You fun. know, things that moms would probably never let their kids do. And our motto is that their clothes are fit to be washed and taken care of at the end of that weekend. And we didn't do our job because they should be thrown in the trash when we get down to and, uh, and that's really what we do. And we just let them live large and, and spend, spend a weekend with men who, who get what their fathers were. It's our, our male mentors are largely staffed by SWAT teams and fire, fire department or, you know, firemen and, and retired military or people who are still actively serving. And so they're rough and rugged guys who, who exemplify the character that, that these young boys and girls' fathers, uh, lived by. Karen, how can people find out more information about Operation 300 maybe donate some money? Just Operation300.com, please. Just visit that website. You'll see all about our goal, our mission. You'll hear some testimonials from children and from mothers whose kids have gotten to experience these incredible camps. So that's it, Operation300.com. Check us out. Karen, thank you so much for spending some time with us this Memorial Day weekend, and thank you so much for your sacrifice and your son. It, it truly means a lot to us. Thank you. So thank you for carrying this torch and, and, uh, and talking about the real meaning of Memorial Day. I appreciate you so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. If you'd like to hear any of these stories again, you can go to theblaze.com slash radio and listen back to any of this in its entirety or in pieces. Theblaze.com slash radio. I'm Doc Thompson along with Skip Lacombe. Thanks so much for listening. Many of the people that we've introduced you to are often the unsung the unpraised, the, the widely unknown. And they're not alone. Many, many people have been killed while defending America. War is awful. General Sherman said war is hell. But America is a special place. And in the 1700s, it was an amazing experiment in self-governance, uh, an open society. And by virtue of our freedoms and our successes, it's always going to be a target. And it must be defended. Unfortunately, some people die defending it.
One day has been set aside to honor them. And all we ask is that you pause and reflect and feel, if only for a moment, true gratitude that you remember Memorial Day, that you hashtag remember Memorial Day. You see, some people can't forget because they saw a friend get killed. Some remember constantly because they lost a father, a mother, a sibling, a cousin, an uncle, an aunt. Some suffer the pain of a lost loved one every single day. You know, when it's said that some made the ultimate sacrifice or paid the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice isn't just giving up one's life. It also means inflicting upon the loved ones left behind the pain of loss and absence. Because of their direct loss, there are some who remember America's fallen every day. Shouldn't the rest of us at least remember Memorial Day? Reflections from a Grateful Nation is a service of the Blaze Radio Network, produced by Sarah Sullivan and Ty Johnson, executive producer Dom Theodore. This has been Reflections from a Grateful Nation, a special presentation on the Blaze Radio Network.